He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, July 23, 2022. I'm starting this show with Troubadour Dave Gunders because I like his company, especially when he is so well-informed. My brother, you are not Mr. Oblivious anymore. You watched the whole Thursday night show, The Impeachment Hearing Part 8. Thank you. I was riveted. That's why I watched the whole show. Yeah, it's a great drama. Since we're all involved, our fate kind of depends on the outcome. You know, it does. I'm not sure what the outcome will be, but it sure was uh, more than interesting. I, I was I was proud, actually, was the feeling I had that, that these hearings were going on. I think these Wyoming women can save America. Susan Stepson is our guest. She's from Casper, Wyoming, sixth generation. She's in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, and she knows fellow attorney Liz Cheney because her husband ran, ran against her, but now she doesn't like Harriet Hageman. Well, no, Susan likes everybody. She's a Republican, but she's not going to support Harriet Hageman who's supported by Donald Trump, who is favored to win this August primary against Liz Cheney. What do you think about that? It's it's mind-boggling at this point that people still support Trump and his lie. And I, you know, as you were talking, I was like, I wonder what they talk about at home. Is it like, well, we know it was a lie, but Trump is our, you know, he's our political currency here, so we'll stick with him. One would think so, or are they are they so blinded by by his rhetoric that they think that uh, the election was was fraudulent? I don't know. It's cult like. I don't think I've ever been in a cult, but we all have our biases. And boy, that subject came up with Susan Stubson. Because I think one divide is religion. And Susan is not only Republican, she's evangelical. And these people don't like abortion. And they like the Dobbs ruling as opposed to people like me. And that's a bone of contention. And some people are so driven on that issue that they look past all of Trump's other flaws. My feeling is, can't you find somebody better than Trump? How about Mitt Romney? He was pro-life. I could support him maybe, but not Donald Trump. And uh, but Susan Stepson's on our side, the Liz Cheney side, and the side of right. What else do you think were highlights? Can I tell you the first highlight? Please. The biggest highlight? Go. And it was right at the start when they announced this is not the finale. There will be more shows in September I'm looking for the really big finish then. And I think they have a lot to work with because Steve Bannon's been convicted. That sucker is going to go to jail. He doesn't want to. 
Other people are looking at that. Other people who put up this bullshit executive privilege, whatever kind of privilege claim, and they're looking at this, and the dam may break. I damn well hope so. How about you? I didn't know he was convicted. Yeah, I know today. That he was okay. So you're on it. Yeah, I'm a little behind you. I I might still have to count count. It's my, Friday afternoon, my it, friend. Did I'm you know that? I'm still oblivious. You're working so no, darn I, hard. I know when Friday afternoon comes. <laughs> yeah, because you pay all those guys working for you. Man, your lookout renovation business is hot as the weather. Yes, the renovation business is going well now. Thanks, Craig. And how about the weather being hot? You and I took a walk. We are walking later and later because, you know, the heat is a little much for our dogs. We can handle it, but our dogs. How old is Sidewinder Riley now? He's 18? F- he's 14. Don't rush him. And uh, as a matter of fact, I heard your guest, Mike Nelson, he was on KBCO today. They, they had interviewed him as well about these, these heat waves. Yeah. And then I was talking about Wyoming. Because Susan Stubson's coming on. And just to cool off, can you please tell that great Wyoming story of yours? Well, I only have one, and it was my— I know, but it will cool everybody off. And I think it's apropos of a lot of themes, including what we heard last night. Tell us your great Wyoming story. Well, it was an ascent of the um, of the Grand Teton, and it was uh, for me. It was one of my my epic climbing moments because it was the last day of August. It was too late to climb that mountain. Uh, the ranger warned us about weather, and of course, my partner and I, being who we were, having driven from Colorado, no weather was going to turn us back. So we we climbed uh, the Grand Teton via the direct Exum route. It's called and. Uh, the weather came in towards the end, and basically we were stuck on the top of that mountain. Say what? Were you prepared? Did we you were have t- sleeping bags? Totally unprepared. No sleeping bags, no food. Um, we, it, would, it turned out to be the first big winter storm. It, first, it was an ice storm, along with electrical li- uh, lightning storms that happened all night long. We shivered on the top, on the very peak. That is a mountain you do not walk off of. You only rappel down from. Now, who was we? Uh, my, my climbing partner was my ex-wife. Oh, I was hoping cow. I was hoping to avoid mentioning her, but actually she was a trooper. No. I mean, you both survived, right? She didn't fall off the mountain. That's why no, she's your ex-wife. She didn't fall off the mountain. If I had let her, if I had let her do what she wanted to, she would have. But uh, luckily, that was the one time she acceded to my better instincts. We stayed up on top. It, it snowed. I had to find the rappel uh, slings in the in the in about six inches of snow Holy the next God. morning. It right was, there, it was where miserable. you started to <laughs> rappel each other. No, we had done that before. <laughs> And that's a corny joke. But anyway, it we is. made it down. And, but I uh, feel a lot chillier already. Keep yeah, going. it was a winter storm. We It was it was scary. How many and nights up there? Just Well, just we were one? just stuck one oh, night up there. On. I mean, listen, it's there's plenty of mountaineers. To them, it, this would have been a walk in the park. For me, it was, it was a, a near-death experience, as you would say. Perfect segue, because that was another highlight last night. The fact that the Secret Service... Thought they were going to die, just like you did on the Tetons. Wasn't that dramatic? It was dramatic. Yeah, the ones who were guarding Pence. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's how close we came. It was. And um, at some point when we get into this further, I have a question for you. 
Okay, you can ask right now. Okay, when we're talking about what the results of these hearings yes. will be, you know, and we've talked about what potentially Trump could be guilty of, right? Seditious conspiracy and all of these things. None of it looks likely, but a, a scene what? for seditious conspiracy Stand doesn't look doesn't of Congress, to me fraud against to America. Me, to me, it doesn't look likely they're going to get him for that. I'm just telling you, right. Craig. I'm not saying he doesn't okay. deserve it. What's your question? My question is this: Do you remember that scene in Breaking Bad? When um, no, I, okay. uh, that's too violent. Jesse's for me. my kids Je both watched it. Je I can Ben, Sam. No, go ahead. Jesse's girlfriend, the the uh, the dealer, right? They, they were both. I don't know. They were show. both. Oh, okay. They were heroin addicts. Anyway, um, what was his name? The the protagonist of Breaking Bad. Anyway, he came into the room. They were unconscious, having just shot up, and she began choking on her vomit. Oh, okay. okay. That's an uplifting story. Brian, somebody? Brian, yes, Brian Cranston. He he decided not to do anything. Okay, so this is about a question of omission, of when people can be can be convicted of of of, of something oh, just by that's omission. That's concept called misprison of a felony. That you're aware of a felony, can you be punished for that? And I think that's spelled M I S P R I S I O N. Very good. Anyway, I, but. My question. We don't even have to contemplate this. This guy was at the core of everything. He planned it. But even even let's aside from that, Trump. Aside from yes. that, he was definitely here's facts. He was in a position to call off a mob. Right. He knew the mob was violent. He knew they had stormed the Capitol. Yes. He did nothing for 187 yes. minutes. Craig, you're the lawyer. That's what? Good, good civil liability right there. But okay. for proving his conspiracy, his solicitation, it is all there. And the fact that he didn't do anything. Yes, and, that's what I'm going right, after. That's evidence of guilt because he's waiting to see the plan take place. That's like, you know, creating a bomb and setting off the timer. You know, it's already during the time that, that the fuse is lit. Okay, didn't do anything then. But he already lit the fuse, and then he threw. It's not like he sat there idly. He sent out that Pence tweet. That was bad. After Pence was already in trouble. So how much more can you? How about, I wish I had evidence like this in some of my circumstantial cases. Look, it's not going to be a slam dunk. That's what prosecutors want, and I don't blame them in a case like this. You have to bring America along, which is what Liz Cheney and, uh, uh, you know, Benny Thompson are doing. How about Benny from his remote site? I think that's kind of cool. I was in court with a judge like that. Now we have a president like that. And you can keep going strong. But I think Merrick Garland, who spoke out this week, saying nobody is above the law. And some press guy said, what about the president? Let me repeat. Nobody is above the law because Rachel Maddow put on a memo where Merrick Garland, who looks like he's milk toast, said that I'm going to follow Bill Barr's principle. We're not going to charge people without my permission before election time. Well, no shit. Nobody's going to charge anybody without your permission. We get that. You're the boss, but we'd like you to hurry up. But now it looks like it's going to wait till after uh, the August recess, because everybody's fault takes August off. Not this show, but... And then Congress will come back, and then we'll have these hearings. And now the Secret Service, the ones who are so scared, they're humans. They can be subpoenaed. Let's find out what those text messages said. It's unsatisfactory that they're destroyed. 
Maybe they're destroyed. Now let's put the witnesses on. What do you remember texting? Did you text your family your final goodbyes? Did you text the president's detail and say, what the fuck? Well, or something like that. It's already been, I don't need to hear anymore. Craig, I agree. We, we as a people well, don't need to hear anymore. Well, we do. It was because laid not, out. You, you never liked Trump. And you're smarter than me, obviously. I never liked him, but I liked, I voted for him over Hillary to my eternal shame. But people have to come around. And for me, you know, Charlottesville was a big break. So everybody has their moment. Let's get as many people on board as possible. You know, he's going to say it's political. The day I knew Peter Boyles had joined that Trump crap fully is when he said, oh, they're trying to get you, not him. Come on. No, it's Trump who did things. And that scare tactic, they're coming after you, not Trump. They're using him as a vehicle. Bullshit. Well, of course it is, you know. But um, I don't know. I, the, to me, the three hours he sat, he was commander in chief. He could have stopped things. He didn't. Horrible things happened. Somehow there's got to be culpability. How about this? He's commander in chief of our armed services. He's the top guy in the military. If you're in the military and something happens, you don't respond. It's like going AWOL. It's dereliction, I would think. Right, and something there. And, and Craig, here's the thing. We know that the country's polarized. We know that the Trump supporters won't be swayed on the whole. Right. But, a, but a lot of Trump supporters are patriotic in their, in, their, in their hearts, in their blood. They love this country. It's what riles them up, right? Yes. They love the country. There's got to be a conflict bubbling now going on you know, with their, the fact that they love their cult leader. And yet he did something that was very undemocratic. Yes. It's got to be conflicting for a certain subset of his of his his following. I think so. Case. Maybe they'll go to DeSantis. It's just unfortunate more don't go to uh Representative Cheney, Vice Chair Cheney, Liz Cheney, who to me is presidential material. And maybe she can capture the, the great middle, but it's amazing how on an island she and Kinzinger are as Republicans. You would think a good 25, 30% of Republicans have to go with Cheney. But among elected officials, no. Right. It's, it's, she can't even break single digits. Right. Too bad because she's good. Kinzinger, by the way, was impressive. I thought he was really impressive. And how about Loria? And you, Loria, I too. I mean, she's Both a Navy vet, yes, Naval she Academy. Is. Both of them. Both of them were very impressive. Boy, I'd like to see them in a room with Steve Bannon. But my gosh, your song this week, I'd never heard it before. It's called Every Space. And I don't know why you were holding out on me. Here's the thing about Dave Gunder's music. And I don't know if there's a compliment or an insult or what. But a song like this, the first time I heard it, I thought this isn't one of my favorites. And then I always give it another chance, and it grew on me. Then I gave it a third chance. I said, this is Don McLean, American Pie. <laughs> this well, guy's you. launching. And, uh, and then the fourth time I realized you were doing Dylan. <laughs> Am I right? Well, no. No, but thank you for listening more than once. That's great. You gave it a chance. And it's beautiful, and it's got so many different elements to it. All the classic Dave Gunders elements. For anybody new to this show, 
I don't know why you don't write about that Teton or the mountains. Maybe you're too traumatized, but you always have forests, trees, sky, wind, sun, space, stars. How about the uh, James Webb? Did you hear the latest on it? Speaking of stars again. What are they What are they seeing now? There's I, I a heard, little bit I of a something. debate. They made a big announcement that they saw the oldest galaxy ever. So how do you think they determined that? Doppler effect. Okay, and what is Doppler dependent on? It depends on it's 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 dependent on physics is what it's dependent on. It means on. it's the yeah. most distant, right? Well, no, Doppler just allows us to view distant. Right, but they give us to understand. For the oldest, wouldn't it be the most distant? Yes, it would be. The, no, it, oh, that's no, where what, you're wrong. It was a trick question. I know okay. I'm talking fast. I thought it would be. Because the most distant isn't necessarily the oldest because maybe it's not moving as fast. Anyway, that's, you can look it up. That's, that's as much scientific knowledge as I have. Oh, okay. And I think it's cool that I didn't watch Breaking Bad, but I kind of knew Brian Cranston. And, and right. I don't know anything about science, but I came up with Doppler. But you're the guy who really had the answer. So together, we're a hell of a team. And we have some mutual phobias in a way, because I like the way your song starts and the concept of you don't have to play it so loud. Right. I don't like really loud music. What about you? I know. I kind of sound like an old fart giving that one out, but but it's it's true. And the older I get, I got to say, you know, and sometimes I play too loud, I will say too. But yes, uh, and I understand why bands play loud. It's fun, but it's uh, to a point. And then, so yeah, it, it, it takes play. The, guy, the guy's listening to a band and it's just way too loud. Um, and he's basically wanting some, you know, aural space. And you talk about amps, which means electricity, which means energy, which means climate change. I think your song is about the environment, is it? If you say so, Craig Silverman. No, but I mean, climate change, <laughs> you have some lines in here. Why Why do we have to fill up every space? No, no, it does get to be about, about that, about climate change. You're an and environmentalist. Just, and just, well, yeah, just, just love and protection of, of this beautiful planet. I mean, yeah, it, it, it ventures in, into there. I, I kind of pose this question of, you know, even God on high left some room for the sky. And, you know, I, yeah, I there's a conversation you didn't there. Use that line. We're going to get to that. But first of all, you did it with the twang. It's not your normal voice. You were trying to do Dylan, weren't you? No. Do you like it when I say you sing with the twang? N- not particularly. Did you like the orange drink tang? Uh, it was okay. <laughs> it wasn't okay. But you're drinking wine in this song. You do like to drink wine. That's your feminine side, isn't it? Yeah, when I'm not drinking whiskey. Okay. And then back to God, because you get religious in this. Do you remember? I, do, I talk, I mentioned God. No, you said he made man. That's right. Wow. I'm old school. What can I Why, say? You could have said God made man, but it's the same one syllable. But you said he liked your chauvinist. Probably. Is that it? Well, it's it's what I, you know, it's, God was always referred to in the masculine gender. I don't know. I know, but I've you heard... had a choice to make right here, and you decided to talk about the Garden of Eden, right? Right. And you said it was an apple from that tree. 
Right. But that's not necessarily so. No, tell me what it was. It was a fruit. People assume an apple, but you can look that up. There's a lot of debate about that. But there's no debating this is a great song. And I think as I reviewed Susan Stubson's amazing conversation with me, I thought about an article I read. I think it was in The Atlantic about the religious divide that's going on in America. A lot more Hispanics are turning toward the Republican Party because the Republicans have more respect for religion. And that factors into a lot of these culture debates. And the people in Wyoming, I asked her, and I'll ask you, since she almost died in Wyoming, do you consider Wyoming part of the Bible Belt? No. I don't think of Wyoming as the Bible Belt. I don't either, but it also has a big component that shares... Do you know what state Trump won by the most? Was it Wyoming? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I would bet on pro-life positions it's probably that way. Yet we wouldn't call it the Bible Belt because it's more like Colorado. It's the West. It's the Bible brooch. The Bible brooch. Maybe with uh, Idaho. And and, and, and parts of Montana. And parts of Montana. Oh, the Bible brooch. You are so creative. (laughs) Why can't you write well, it's a song above about the belt. a mountain? It's above the belt, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> this is a great conversation. I think this is a tremendous episode 106. It's mainly owing to our troubadour, Dave Gunders, and our wonderful guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, Susan Stepson. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Thanks, troubadour. Thanks, Craig. in my ears on the stage a six-piece band got their amps turned up to ten they don't have to play so loud get that rock and roll sound Never pause for breath Give my naked ears a rest You don't have to go On and on I'm already gone Please don't fill up every space Please don't fill up every space around Even got on high, left some room for the sky For the clouds to form and drift Give our spirit lift High above the forests And the trees Such a thing of beauty Walking round neath this crown star Shining crazy from afar The endless night And all the blackness and the space between We're alive and dreaming Dreaming in the light
did the best he can He said, do one thing for me It's not the apple, nor the tree Something else entirely Got me worried Gonna save Eden, you better hurry Please don't fill up every space And the grace Please don't fill up every space catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bacon. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Gosh, this is exciting. Our neighbor to the north, Wyoming, one of the best lawyers up there, Susan Stubson. How do I know? I've read her writing. She's a columnist for the Casper Star Times. I think that's the name of the paper. But I read her in the New York Times where she wrote, I'd consider it a perfect column. It was so beautiful. And, of course, I agreed with it. It was about Liz Cheney. She's an accomplished lawyer. And she's a mother, she's a wife, she's got it all going on. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, Susan Stepson. Well, thank you, Craig, and greetings from Wyoming. How is our neighbor to the north? Uh, well, right now, it's hot. Um, I'm guessing you're probably sharing the same thing. So things things are swell. You know, our, our primary is August 16th, so in Wyoming... That really is kind of the the big stage for all of the 
the political seats here. So it's a really, really interesting time right now. Right. And in the great state of Wyoming, you have all of one congressperson still? You can't get up to two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great question. So let me give you a little bit of foundation. And this usually blows everybody's mind. But um, in Wyoming, we have one Congress woman. Um, we have twice as many U.S. senators representing us than we do a congressperson, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's so, why America is falling apart. It's Wyoming's fault. But go ahead. Oh, hey now. Hey now. Uh, not really. But, you know, we are we're such a small state. We are such a low populated state. Um, our representatives are, I mean, they're important to everybody, right? They're important in Colorado. They're important to everybody. But here we really know them. We see them often. We have um, easy access if you want them. So yeah, those three folks that are representing us right now are, are important. See, your imagery is so cool. And I'm not an expert on Wyoming. That's why you are on. First of all, we need to establish your qualifications are you, in fact, an attorney? Because you are welcomed into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge if you are. Golly, well, I'm not sure what the criteria is, but yes, I am an attorney. I've passed the bar, the Wyoming bar, and I'm a practicing lawyer. Yes. Okay, you're in. I take your word for it. Is there reciprocity? Sure. Have you ever practiced in Colorado? You know, I think, so no, the, that ship, I think, sailed when I took the bar. I probably should have taken the Colorado bar at the same time, but um, you know how it is. You pass the bar, you get into practice, and you move along, and years go by, and really, I just have never really needed or, or wanted to um, wave into the Colorado bar. So and I why am, would you? I am all pure Wyoming lawyer. I like that because I'm all Colorado and you're in imagery back to the New York Times and your incredible wordsmithmanship. I don't think that's a word. That just Let's, shows you are smarter than me. But you <laughs> talked about Wyoming being like a small town with long streets, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for bringing that up. You know, that's a that's just this beloved adage for folks that live here in Wyoming. And depends on who you talk to. There's many um, ideas who came up with that first. I think that it was Mike Sullivan, one of our governors um, in the late 90s, um, who is mostly widely attributed belonging to that phrase that Wyoming is a small town with a long street. But what he means is we really, we really do know each other, um, notwithstanding we're a huge state. I mean, we're, we're the square on top of the Colorado square. So we have a, a lot of square footage up here, but we, we know the folks in the outside corners of the state. Um, in many ways, we're, we're often related to them. <laughs> if you pick I know, one county. But, but have you thought about that? How come we have 10 times more people? Uh, well, I have some thoughts on that. I have, I, I have a one-word answer, but you is go with a, yours. Is it a four-letter word starting with W? Yes. And ended with wind? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the great thing, if you're a realtor, um, the realtors will always um, bring all their, their out-of-state clients here in the spring or early summer where the grass is high and there's no wind and it's beautiful. Folks will come out here, um, spend a year, go through those really hard January, February winters 
where the wind is just relentless. The wind chill is awful. It's it can get pretty brutal up here. Um, well, frankly, let's we geolocate uh, you because you're not in southern Wyoming. You are in the big metropolis of Casper, as I yes, understand. Yes, I am. Casper, son of the state. It's population a little bit above 50, 55,000. We're the second largest city in the state. Cheyenne is first. Um, so, yeah. Is we that the, feel like we're the, the is, center of the universe here. Is that the perfect size, 55,000? Uh, well, you know, I, this is where I've spent most of my adult life. So I guess my short answer would be yes. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's large enough where not everybody is really in your business, but then it's small enough that, um, golly, you know, your teachers, you know, their kids, you know, everybody at your church, you see everybody at the grocery store, those, those connections, you, those mean something in, in a city of 50,000 people, you really can form some really deep, lasting relationships with a lot of people. I imagine so. Um, but you have something to compare it to. Tell my largely Colorado audience about your own Colorado background. Yeah, sure. Happily. So I'm a sixth generation Wyomingite, which means that my family was here um, before Wyoming was a state. So I've, I've got my Wyoming bona fides. That said, my dad's banker. No, no, wait a second. In- Since we're both lawyers and I've thought about this a lot, is it yes. bona fides or bona fides? Well, it depends who you're talking to. I think if I wanted to impress a judge, maybe I might use the Latin phrase, but um, plain language is usually my default. So I'd say bona fide. <laughs> Call you me know, that now. sounds better, right? And, uh, that's a bona fide, and that sounds more American. Beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I got yes. in a dispute last show. I don't know if you listen. I Thank you for listening to a bunch of them getting ready, yeah. but is it Petri dish or Petri dish? Oh, Petri, all the way. No question. That is the American pronunciation, because I got into it a little with Paige Mackie Murray, who's a brilliant Colorado appellate attorney, who said it's Petri, but it turns out that's the British pronunciation. So let's go back to your bona fides as a yes. Wyomingite. Yet yes. you've yeah. dabbled in Colorado. Tell everybody dabbled about in Colorado, that. more than dabbled. Uh, moved to Glenwood Springs when I was in first grade. And um, that's really where I did all of my schooling. We lived in Glenwood Springs. Then we moved to Grand Junction. Then um, my family moved to Vail. I graduated at Fruita Monument High School in Grand Junction. And my my parents had already moved up to Vail. So I, in many ways, really consider Vail home. Um, So, And my whole family is still there. My siblings and, and my parents are still in Colorado. I'm the only one that... Uh, managed to wear, find our way back to Wyoming. How long of a drive is it from Casper to Vail? Uh, l- well, it depends who's driving. A little less than six hours. And Casper is right on I-25, correct? Yes. Yes, it so is. So you just go straight to Denver, turn right at I-70? Nope. We do two-lane the whole way. We go the back way. Oh, we the back do way. everything we can to avoid... I-25 and I-70. No offense. What is the speed limit in Wyoming these days? 110 or 120? <laughs> it's 80. 80. 80. Just, and that's on city streets, right? Anywhere. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So 80 on the interstates. So tell everybody about your upbringing. I mean, well, you moved around a lot. And how far is Fruit of Monument High from the Utah border? Are you practically in Utah? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And, you know, maybe everybody who grows up or spends high school there feels like wherever they are was not the cool place. But uh, Fruita was definitely not as cool then as it is now. Um, so, yeah, we lived we lived in a suburb of Grand Junction. And so the suburb kids, we went to Fruita. Um, yeah, and that's where my siblings and I both all graduated from. And my dad's a banker. And he took a job in Vail and opened up a bank. And that's where we all migrated. And so my siblings live in Denver. And, um, and yeah, it, answers, it answers the question of why you are a Republican. One, I learned from your column that in Wyoming, you're either red or redder. And we're not talking about communism. We're talking about the opposite. And then you come from a banker family. That's in your DNA. And I'd say about 99% of bankers are Republicans. Am I off? Huh. Well, I I have not actually seen the data, Craig. <laughs> but, you know, my dad, my dad's great, but he, he very much has that banker mentality. I mean, he's very pragmatic. He's very thoughtful. He's very analytical. Um, fiscally, you're right. He's, he's pretty conservative for sure. But, you know, in Wyoming, um, we are shades of red for, for a number of reasons. I mean, it's, it's funny, a, a moderate, um, Democrat in any other state would be considered a Republican here. Um, and the same, the same could be true. And frankly, I think that those folks like myself that tend to be more moderate in the Republican Party up here, there's kind of this perception that we're off the island. We are Republicans in name only. We're, we're too liberal for the Republican Party up here. So that's the tension is kind of that moderation spectrum within the party. Does your, do your parents feel guilty for leaving Wyoming and moving to Colorado? Since they had that long legacy. <laughs> yeah, you know, you would probably have to ask them. I think their answer is no. You know, they are, we were a super, we are a super outdoor family and and spent all of our time skiing and backpacking and hiking. And, you know, the thing, as we just talked about, that Colorado does not have that we have a lot of is wind. And so I don't think that they miss the wind at all. Right, but if they're traveling, say they go overseas, as bankers want to do, they're on a yacht or, I don't know, a big cruise ship, and somebody says, hey, where are you from? Are they going to say Colorado or Wyoming? Colorado, no question. Oh, so it's same up to for, you to keep Same for my siblings, life. yeah, for sure. And is Stubson your married name or your maiden Stubbs, name? Stubson is my married name. And what was your name growing up? My maiden name is Chapin. Chapin. Right, like Mary Chapin, the singer? Yes, or like Susan Chapin. Okay. Which is me. <laughs> Susan, so tell us. So you go to Food and Monument. Where did you go after high school? Then I went to CU, CU Boulder, just like you. Didn't go to law school at CU Boulder, but I got my undergraduate degree at CU Boulder in piano performance. Gosh, I love the piano. Every show I have my troubadour friend on, and I just told him I broke his heart, but I said, my favorite songs start with the keyboard and piano. 
and he's a guitar guy, so I think I hurt his feelings, but how accomplished are you? You perform uh, for big crowds, don't you? Well, you know, so I'm a classical pianist. Um, golly, does anybody really, is anybody able to answer that question about how accomplished they are? Yes, um, I can get it out of you. Let me question you. How, do you put on public performances? Yes. How frequently? Uh, usually I play about six to 10 concerts a year. Do people pay to watch these concerts? Yes. Who puts them on? Uh, just whatever the presenting organizations are or the people that call me and ask me to play. So. And are you the featured act or just one of the acts? Uh, sometimes the featured act, sometimes the solo act. You know, typically I, I do a lot of, um, collaborative piano work with visiting artists that are coming through the Rocky Mountain region and um, kind of, frankly, a pianist for hire. So that's really where my bread and butter comes from is more collaborative you, you are a pro pianist. Who are your role models? Uh, well, Lang Lang, Van Clyburn, <laughs> golly. Um, I'm I really was named Chapin, I'd probably like Chopin. But that's just me. All pianists love Chopin. Chopin was a pianist, and he that's knew he knew how to write for the piano. So yes, we all love Chopin. And Beethoven, born on my birthday, or maybe it was the other way around. Do you know when Beethoven's birthday is? Uh, no. Dad I think damn it. it's December sixteenth. Oh, okay. And my mom <laughs> said when I came out, I said "Baba da Boo." Something like that. No, Brilliant. I'm, right. I, 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 I just had a feeling it was his birthday. So uh, where did you learn to play the piano? Probably in Colorado. Am I right? I did. You know, my piano teacher um, was at CU, but I started studying with him when I was um, in high school. And my mom would drive me from Grand Junction to Boulder about once a month for piano lessons with him. And I had a number of, of really great teachers. Um, this lovely lady in Grand Junction, Donna Williams, was my first teacher. And she was just this amazing human being and a great teacher. And then I studied with Larry Graham at CU Boulder. And he really, really was my mentor and then turned out to be my friend and just this incredible influence, um, not just as a pianist, but, but as a thinker. I guess if I could say that, he taught me how to think deeply about a lot of things and be critical. Um, oftentimes, I think that um, people think it's um, not okay to be critical about things. Larry taught me how to be very critical in a positive way, if that makes any sense. But, you know, the piano has has influenced my entire life. It influences my writing. It influences my law practice. Um, it influences my how I treat my kids, my friends, how I'm talking to you. I can feel the rhythm, and it's so cool. What are the two or three most memorable piano performances you've you've ever put on? Oh golly! Well, I got to stand on the stage at Carnegie Hall um, when I was working with an orchestra back there, Orchestra St. Luke's. What do you mean you um, got to stand? Did you get to play the piano for people? No, no, I was I was helping out with the orchestra. So, um, you know, I played at Aspen Music Festival. Um, 
Oh, golly. I've had some huge experiences. Um, do you play with orchestras, symphonies? Do you? Uh, not, not recently, but yes, I have. If I think some, every, could you sit in and play popular music too? Uh, well, usually against my good judgment, but yes. And do you need to read the music or do you just have it in your head? Uh, I need to read the music. I am an anal retentive classical pianist that relies on written notes on a page. And, can, a you re- and can you read it super fast? Yes. And that's that's from the University of Colorado, right? Well, and, and then beyond, yes, but yes. But some people have an aptitude for it, and you do. Am I right? Uh, yes. I yep. love the piano. I also work at it a lot. And uh, what is the uh, piano in your house right now? A Steinway. Is that like a Stradivarius? Is that the best? <laughs> uh, yes, I think so. Yes. It's not as expensive as a Stradivarius, but yeah. And do you get to write that off since you're a pro? Uh, yes. Gosh, I'm impressed. And tell me about playing the piano and how it translates into being a lawyer. Is it being quick on your feet? Are you making a lot of decisions as you're playing the piano or is it a lot of memorization? What is it? Uh- Yeah, you know, great question. So you, the litigator, will super appreciate this. So, And this is what I tell my kids. This is what I tell anybody who wants to take piano lessons or any music lessons. That if you can walk out on stage in front of hundreds of people and sit down and from memory do something for two hours for an extended period at a time, you can do anything. So, yes, to answer your question, thinking on your feet, yes. You know, there's a million things that go wrong during any given concert, um, most of which the audience hopefully doesn't know. But it's kind of that ability to be in the moment, to communicate something, to think. I mean, it's the mental energy, I think, that it takes to put together a program and sit down and, and perform that at a high level for a live audience is I just think it's a, a platform that most people have never experienced. And if they're able to do that in a sustained way at a high level, you can do anything. It's a huge confidence builder. And is that what it's all about? The confidence when you step on stage, can your confidence make you or break you? Um, I think so. I mean, it's maybe it's, it's a combination of, confidence, um, a concern or not a concern, a a willingness and a desire to communicate. Um, And frankly, it's incredibly exciting and terrifying. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. And I don't always walk on stage feeling totally confident, but that's part of the that's part of the puzzle as well, is how do you go out there and do something where you may not feel like you're having a great day, but you still get out there and you get it done. And once you start hitting the keys, then you're into the rhythm of the music and the performance, and it usually focuses your mind, I bet. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then you enjoy it, and then you start probably trying some fun stuff. And I think I'm just trying to picture what it would be like, but I'm wondering 
you said you did it from memory, and we know that you can read music like a whiz. So is that just because you practice so much, you don't need the music when you perform? Uh, yes, and and more things. I mean, there's muscle memory, there's finger memory. You know, it's it's really akin to you know when you hear athletes talking about being in the zone um, and yes. getting to this point where where everything. I mean, all of those those hours and hundreds of thousands of hours of practice, everything kind of clicks, and you quit thinking so much about kind of on that real granular level of everything that's happening, and your body just kind of takes over for you. And do you see the musical notes in your head or? No, no. Wow. Because I always go up there with notes and I, I, I resent anybody who makes me speak without a lectern because yeah, I can memorize it pretty well, but I like the security of the notes. And I suppose if I was playing the piano, I'd like the music up there. Do you even have it up there for big performances just in case? Um, yeah, for sure. And especially, well, with if I'm collaborating with another artist, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. Absolutely. But don't you feel like sometimes, I mean, you've been in front of a jury, you've, you've been in these high level situations where you're, you're making the case to the bench or to the court or whoever. And haven't you ever had that experience where you may have your notes in front of you, but you don't need your notes. You, you know, this case so deeply so well that sometimes you just take your eyes off the page, take your eyes off the lectern, and you just communicate. Have you ever had that experience? Absolutely. As I look at my notes right now. No, I'm just kidding. But I do have notes (laughs) as I interview you because I, I have a plan and it's just kind of the order in which I want to go. I don't need to read it, although I do write it out. Speaking of anal people, that's me. I I like to write it out and then I practice it. Back in the day, you know, I'd use a cassette recorder. I'd record it, play it really loud in the shower to see how I wanted to say it. And then by the time I got in front of the jury, I pretty much had it memorized. But, uh, okay, how cocky are you on the piano? I just need to know, are are you a skier? Yes. So are you a double black diamond piano player? Uh, yes, but I'm not caught cocky at all. I think that that is a recipe for disaster. And I think you see that in all professions, right? I mean, I never feel 110% cocky and so confident that I'm just winning. Never. You sound like you're pretty good. Well, I'm driven by fear, fear right, of failure. Well, what about skiing? <laughs> what, how good a skier are you with your family in Vail? Wow. Are, are you, know, you do double black Vail. diamonds? Can you yes. do those? Yes. Gosh, you are skilled. And you're an outdoors woman, too. I've read your columns about being kind of rough but feminine. My gosh, what is the ideal Wyoming woman, and how did you become one? Oh, great question. Well, I have a, a lot of, most of my girlfriends, when I think about them, I think that's who I would like to be. I'm nowhere near them. Um, I think the ideal Wyoming woman, I picture my ranch friends, you know, who are beautiful inside, outside, they're tough as nails, they don't complain, they get stuff done. Um, yeah, they're hard workers. They're super hard workers. Most of them are super elegant. 
like you in every respect, and you have a wonderful (laughs) husband. Brag on your husband and your family. Tell everybody that you're a mama, too. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So uh, my husband, Tim, is he's kind of the bomb. Um, We've got two boys, uh, Huck and Finn. Hucky's name is not, that's not his actual name. That's what we call him. So, uh, yeah, they're great. They're great kids. Two boys um, don't have girls. So I just probably am very much of a boy mom. So, and how old are Huck and Finn? Uh, my Finn is a junior at UW and Hucky is just graduated high school and he's going down to UW. That's the University of Wyoming in Laramie. They'll both be down at the university. Yes, we've heard of the University of Wyoming. It's going to be part of the constellation of minor college football teams with Colorado and Colorado State with this new hierarchy. But you and I are living parallel lives in that I have Ben and Sam, who are 23 and 19. Oh, And nice. my, my wife is the bomb. Her name is Trish. Your husband's named Tim. My audience knows about Trish. But why is Tim the bomb? Yeah, Tim. So we met in law school. He's an attorney. Uh, We are actually at the same firm, not by choice. Uh, And actually now it works out pretty well. But um, he was the smartest guy in law school. Just loved him immediately. He uh, took him a while to uh, figure out who I was. But yeah, he was in the law review. And, you know, he was that guy in law school that was, he was the quietest guy. Didn't really talk a lot. But when he did... Um, everybody seemed to listen, and he usually had the most insightful and thoughtful things to say. And that guy that I knew in law school is the same guy who he is today. I mean, that's that is who he is. So he's always had a passion for public service. So um, early on in our marriage, um, he joined the Wyoming State Legislature, which he was in for ten years. Um, I mean, you don't join. You have to get elected, right? Yeah, I know. That was kind of a weird verb. Sorry about that. No, I thought maybe America had changed that yes, far already. no, our right. system is totally different. No, what happened, it, it was actually a midterm appointment. Oh. He was appointed by our um, central committee of our, our county Republican Party uh, to fill the shoes of a, a legislator in, his, in our district uh, that was unable to finish his term. So Tim was appointed. Um, so he actually, the really funny story was that he, um, was appointed about four days before the Wyoming legislate legislative session began. And so there was all sorts of great stories where, you know, he's appointed. Nobody has any idea who he was. He's 30, he's super young. So here's this guy who shows up at the Wyoming legislature, couldn't get in, security wouldn't let him in. And he kept saying, Hey, you know, I'm your new legislator. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm the bomb. Now, he's got to yeah. be a great-looking guy if you call him the bomb. Well, he's pretty handsome. But, yeah, so that was the beginning of his— And they wouldn't let a handsome guy in? Uh, well, I don't remember that being a criteria, Craig. Okay. But, you know, it was a while ago, so you could be Is right. Is he double black diamond handsome? Uh, you know, he, oh, well, he's a boarder, so— that's a whole nother discussion. No, but I mean, is he top shelf? I mean, he's Hollywood handsome. What are we talking about here? Well, I'm his wife, of course, so I think he's pretty handsome. Because you said he's the bomb, and then you said he was just quiet in class. That doesn't sound like the bomb, so you must have just <laughs> been looking at him. And- well, he was the bomb for me. That's, those are the kind of people that I admire the most, right? Those are the kind of people I think that 
I would like to see more in public service. I admire anybody who can, you know, keep it going on in the practice of law. It's not necessarily easy. People call you with problems. How have you liked practicing law and how does your husband embrace it? Uh, Great question. So I practiced um, until I started having kids and then I um, quit practicing for about 10 years or so until my kids were about middle school or so. And then I got back into practice. And from there, you know, I've been really lucky that I've really um, framed my practice pretty um, pretty closely. So I have, I have a really small amount of clients. I do a very separate and discreet lot line of practice. And so I'm able to, to manage my time a little bit better. So I for right. sure am not a, not a hundred percent. I did litigation when I first, um, got into practice, loved it, loved it. Uh, but to be honest, and I know this sounds super old fashioned, but, Um, When I had my first son, I just did not want to, I didn't want to be that lawyer where I was gone all the time and flying around the country and spending hours and hours in depositions when I really just wanted to be home with my kids. So, um, yeah, so I I took a break, an extended break, and now I'm back in practice and, um, yeah, have, have a couple of really great clients and got some flexibility within my practice so I can... Uh, play concerts and write. So, yeah. And you write so beautifully, and I'm sure you're Thank a great you. mother, and I can't wait to hear your piano playing. And I'm sure you solve all your husband's problems with pillow talk, which is allowed because you're part of the same firm, and hell, you have a privilege with him anyway. Yeah, so, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> no, it, you don't need to. But uh, it, it, it's fascinating uh, how Wyoming has figured in my life Because when I went to the Denver DA's office, Dale Tooley, who was legendary DA, had as his second-in-command Brooke Wanneke, who was a great trial lawyer from Wyoming. She'd gone to Stanford and and CU Law, and she was just brilliant, and uh, she should have been on the state Supreme Court. But that, if anybody asked me who was my mentor, it was a woman lawyer from Wyoming named Brooke Wanneke. Have you ever heard of her? That name does sound familiar. Where did she go to law school? I think Stanford. Stanford, you did say that. Sorry. Yes, yes. And then she uh, she was a big deal in Wyoming as a trial lawyer, and I can see why, because she was so smart. She wrote a lot of books. Anyway, uh, I've done shows about Brooke, and she was so great that at our CU Law School graduation, because a number of us worked for uh, the Denver DA's office as interns, and Bill Ritter was our class president. Yeah, Bill, you could win all your elections. That's okay. But anyway, <laughs> he he got to have our mentor, Brooke Wanaki, speak to our graduating class, and it was just wonderful, just wonderful. Uh-huh. So that's yeah. my Wyoming connection uh, among a few. But yeah. I want to know about uh, some lawyers up in Wyoming named Cheney, specifically Liz Cheney, how is it you know the Cheney family? And if it's one small town, they've had to be in a prominent house on the block, right? Uh, yeah, we were just right next door neighbors. No. Um, so, you know, Lynn, uh, Lynn and Dick Cheney are born and bred Wyomingites. And in fact, uh, my parents are contemporaries with Dick and Lynn. 
And my dad graduated graduated same high school as as Dick, and so they in the Casper area. In Casper, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, um, Liz, you know, we we certainly weren't family friends, and we didn't know them. Liz is a little bit older than than Tim and I, and so we certainly didn't grow up with them. Um, we know Liz Cheney, our our intersection with her was in 2016 when she ran for Congress. Uh, Tim, my husband, ran for Congress against her. So we were frenemies. We weren't enemies. Right. Um, it's not she, like you could run for different districts in Wyoming. They just have the one. And right? And who got in first, her That's exactly, or Tim? Uh, you mean who? Yeah, who, who entered the race who first? Who filed did, first? Who, did anybody try to talk the other one out of doing it? Um, well, I can't speak for Liz Cheney. My sense is her team, uh, we didn't have a lot of communication with them. But, you know, this was something, you know, Tim had been in the legislature for about 10 years, um, something that he was good at. Obviously, I'm I'm biased, but he was an incredibly effective and skilled lawmaker and really managed to pass a really large amount of legislation in a short amount of time. And so... When that seat came open, it was really a, a logical leap for him, for us to do that. We were worried, to be honest. We'd heard that there were, um, that Cheney might jump in. And in fact, a lot that the cycle before that, she had run for Congress for or for Senate for a brief amount of time before she withdrew. So we knew that she was back in the state and and had her eyes on a seat there. So um, to your question, I can't answer who who filed first. But yes, we did find ourselves in that race, um, really a David and Goliath race. You know, I mean, she was well funded and had a big, big campaign team, and um, our team was. Hucky and Finn and Tim. Now, and how I. tall? How tall is Tim? A uh, little under six foot, something, something. Okay. How tall is Liz Cheney? Ah, uh, you know what's funny? She's short, and I've heard her a number of times make really, really funny, very um, charmingly self-deprecating jokes about um, how people are always surprised that when they see her in person that she's shorter than than they think. So, so physically, she'd be David, and Tim would be Goliath. But- uh, we never viewed that race as Liz Cheney as David. <laughs> because <laughs> of her last name or because of the monetary resources and the political background, yes. all of that? Yes, yes, yes to all of that. Mm-hmm. Yes to all of that. You know, Dick Cheney um, really is the, the beloved son of Wyoming, you know, and he was vice president and before that secretary, you know, so he, secretary of defense, I mean, Wyoming is, was, is extremely proud of Dick Cheney. And so, yeah, to answer your question, it was a, a huge uphill battle. And so part of our strategy, since you didn't ask, um, I mean, we knew we wouldn't be able to outfund her or, you know, win on that. We really ran a campaign with the message that, you know, Tim is kind of one of these um candidates from the bootstraps up that that did it the old-fashioned way, which, you know, he did his time in the legislature, and he knows the state, and he knows these issues deeply, and he's the hometown guy, 
and he's not this big political di- dynasty and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then you I, try to make her a little bit of a carpetbagger. She hasn't been in Wyoming for decades or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very much. I mean, that that was kind of a central component of our, our campaign. You know, and the carpetbagger label is something that she's – even now, um, she has never really been able to overcome here. You know, in, in Wyoming, we are a little provincial, um, which has good elements to it and bad elements to it. But, you know, heretofore, folks coming into the state who don't live here, who jump into public office and, and you know, espouse to represent what we want that has historically not gone over so well so we really tried to um highlight that and exploit that didn't work um so obviously she won i tried to do that in my race against ritter i said look he's from aurora i'm from denver this is the denver da's office he's a carpetbagger but i lost too yeah yeah do you think it was because of that no, I think it's because he was an incumbent Democrat. Maybe I should have gone to him and said, Bill, hey, would you step down so I could be DA right now? I'm turning 40. I'm going through a midlife crisis. Anyway, races are tough, and yes. we want to see you law together. We'd been great friends at each other's weddings, and it was a hard-fought campaign, yes. and we didn't really talk for about, I don't know, 10 years or looked at each other funny. Now we're back to being good buddies and friends and we, it just takes time what about you and the yeah. Cheneys? oh so much thank you for saying that you know i, I mean i don't want to jump on the pity bus but but those campaigns are hard and obviously when you don't get the outcome that you want i mean they it hurts it really really hurts to lose so i'm i'm with you so you know, at one point, Liz is the the enemy, this great adversary, um, did not really have lots of great things to say about her. But you know what happened? Donald Trump happened. 2016 was also the year that Trump emerged. Oh, I know? know it. But before we leave that, I w- did her family come around? I bet you had Huck and Finn and you at all the town halls and forums where there yes. debates against yes. Liz Cheney. And it was a it was a blast. You know, that's why, golly, it was such a wild experience. We had highs and lows. And so the highs were, yeah, just traipsing around the state and going to all these the town halls and the debates and the parades and and yeah you know you you in a very odd way become close um, definitely with family members um, of the other ones everybody helps each other carry their signs in their booths from one town to the next so um, there is kind of a cool little fraternity that happens there for sure and did um, and- did Liz Cheney bring her family around too. Um, you know, her, yeah, every once in a while her kids were there. And I have to say, um, Dick Cheney was at a number of the forums and it was such an honor, I think, for Tim. And I, I think Tim feels that way too, to be able to, you know, be someplace where he would be able to engage in a vigorous policy debate and have the vice president, you know, you know have Dick Cheney sure. right there in the audience. And so, there's no question that campaign led just had an aura. I mean, it, it was a special campaign, and and frankly, even though it was not the outcome we wanted, it was a tremendous honor to, 
just be in that world for a while. Um, so I can you know, I can hear it in your voice, and I could hear it in my wife's voice because as tough as the election was on me, it was tougher on my spouse. And I've heard a lot of candidates talk about that, and you experienced it. It's uh, tough yeah. being the spouse of a candidate, right? Yeah, no question. And you know, also the the folks that you were pretty sure would would be on your side mm-hmm. and would be part of your campaign team, and and then um, not so much. It was it was revealing. Um, so lots of lots of great lessons learned, and lots of hard lessons learned. So. Overall, you know, it's like you just said, you know, you get some distance on it. And I thank God that we went through that for sure. Would do it again. No question. No question. And now both of us are rooting for Liz Cheney and she's in the battle of her lifetime. Let's go yes. to your column. What it was, it was titled Cheney's, Liz Cheney's Last Stand. Did yes. you choose that headline or the New York Times editor? Uh, I wish. I wish I could take credit for the headline. No, that was that was theirs. Right. A headline can make or break a column. And most of us as columnists, we don't get to choose. Sometimes we're thrilled with Detroit, sometimes not so much. But you've been writing for the Casper paper. You are wonderful. But how did you reach, you know, the pinnacle of the New York Times? Did you say, whoa, this one's coming out great. I'm going to send it to the Times and to the people at the Casper paper say, wait, that should be ours. <laughs> uh well, you know, credit goes to to Liz Cheney. I mean, I think that had she not be in the race of her life and this this specific moment, I don't think anybody really would be too interested in any of these kind of submissions. But because there is so much national attention on Liz Cheney, um, I think that there is a desire from outside, you know, media sources to know what's going on in Wyoming and to kind of get a perspective um, from somebody who's got boots on the ground. And so um, I was lucky to be able to get in some discussions with them and say, hey, would you be interested in this? And um, so, yeah, so that's how that so you did process a qu- evolved. You did a query? to them. And and I saw, I do my research, that you were quoted in an article, in another person's column about uh, Representative Cheney, am I right? And that was in the New York Times. Did that help lead to it? Uh, probably, probably. You know, we've gotten a lot, a lot of attention. Um, and so I've have um, had lots of interviews with lots of news sources. And so I think that, that that all helped. And I don't think it has anything to do with me other than everybody, myself included, um, everybody's really curious and interested to see how this race is going to shake out. It has everything to do with you, though, because your column was extraordinarily well-written and you are enthusiastically embracing this interview and you are just a fantastic guest. But I sense... A mission. Yes, you are a performer. We already know that. Top flight, top shelf. But it sounds to me like you are trying to save America or something like that. Is that right? Well, you know, I hope that all of us in in OA feel like that. But yeah, there's no question that um, I think Donald Trump has been a poison to the idea of democracy. And so, and I'm 
greatly concerned, I think, like so many people. And so, you know, we all kind of help out where we can. And for me, I think um, I am at my best when I keep my mouth shut and I write about it. So, um, and to that end, I think that what Representative Cheney is doing, anything I can do to um, broadcast that or or maybe expand on that, I, I'm I'm all in. So, yeah. Gosh, powerful words, the imagery, poison to democracy. What worries me here in Colorado, where Donald Trump is largely rejected, at least in the front range where I've always lived, I look up north. I look to western Colorado, where you grew up, and Lauren Boebert, and I'm thinking these people are poisoned. Yeah. And their yeah. brains are pickled. And I don't like pickles, by the way. So what's going on in Wyoming? Why can't, what is the antidote for this poison? If a snake bit you and gave you Trumpism, is there an antidote? Yeah, what's going on in Wyoming? That's a great question. Um, and it's it's been a little rattling. I'm not going to lie. You know, these are our, I mean, I've, we talked about this earlier on in the show. I mean, these are friends and neighbors that are, are dear friends. And, you know, we see them just being all in on the Trump train. And I, I, I'm i stumped. Well, you mentioned ways. going to church in Casper. Is it a, a church thing? It, can the church help? Is the church hurting? I, I'm trying to figure this out because I see where Trump is popular in the Bible Belt. Is Wyoming part of the Bible Belt? <laughs> uh, well, we're a pretty conservative state for sure. And I think, you know, and there's there's a lot of data to bear this out as well. I think a, a huge, really solid part of his base is the evangelical community, of which I'm a part of, by the way. And so it's been really concerning to see kind of those those divisions. I think that's that's where it's the most apparent. Um, that said, I think that it's it's all over. You know, Trump has been great for our economy. I mean, we are a state that is largely dependent on the oil and gas industry, on the minerals industry. And so Trump's policies were great for Wyoming, you know. So there his administrative policies, I think, were were great. I'm not sure if that was by accident. Um, it's hard for me to give him credit, sadly, for anything, but you know, I can make a case as to why he is so popular up here. You know, I think also his message, um, messaging really resonates with us Westerners. You know, we really like to see ourselves as as kind of these, these renegades who don't need anybody help. And, you know, we don't want to answer to the man and, you know, all of those kind of things. That, and, and so that you is, want to follow an Upper East Side New Yorker? Yeah, isn't that that's the great irony? That's the great great irony. Um, you know, and of course, so much of this doesn't make sense, but but I do understand because I live here, um, and these are my friends. I I understand. I don't agree with it, but I understand a lot of that messaging, and I understand why that resonates with so many of the folks up here. I also and, think that we might be a little limited in. Um, we're we're in an information desert. You know, we have food deserts. We have all sorts of different deserts. I really am concerned up here in Wyoming that our our sources, um, our news sources, are limited. And frankly, 
they're largely driven by the national media. I mean, that's where most of us get all of our news, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't help when you live in Natrona County or you live in Weston County or, you know, these rural, rural states. It is really, really hard to just get some facts and figure out what's going on in your community. You know, it's a complex Right, but we have a cure for that. It's called this podcast. You know, you can spread it around Natrona County, et cetera. Yes. It can make a little bit of an impact. But the local news, here I had Kyle Clark, Nine News guy, and he takes on the big lie, calls it a big lie. Do they do that on Casper TV? Do they say, oh, there are two sides to this election story? Because Denver media just pretty much calls it out like you or I would. Uh, you know, it's yes, but it's way more limited. It's, it's for sure more limited. I mean, there's, well, pieces like myself. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a column that, that calls, calls those things out to use your words, you know, and yeah, there is that, that view. I will tell you, they are not, um, warmly received or embraced generally. And you get a lot of pushback um, lots of dispute as to what is a lie and what is a fact. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a real trick to really get get the facts, and you know, which is why the January sixth hearings. I think if people would watch them, I think are so so critical to the understanding of of where we are at this country, where we're at. I'm a huge sports guy, but I'm looking forward to these hearings even more. To the Nugget playoff games. We're recording yeah. this Thursday afternoon, and I'm psyched about tonight because I want to hear every detail about what Trump did during those 187 minutes. We already know he tweeted the incitement that caused them to say, hang Mike Pence. Let's get right to it. January 6th, my God, I broke away really from Trump after Charlottesville. What was your breaking point? When did I break away from yeah, Trump? Yeah, I mean, did you did you ever back Trump? Or did you ever think, oh, maybe he'll be okay? I was stupid enough to think, you know what? I bet he's not that conservative. Once he gets in, he'll move to the middle, and that's the way he will win a second term. But he didn't do it. Did you ever back Trump? Never. What was Never. it that convinced you from the outset? You know, and... and um to my discredit, I, I never took him seriously. I just couldn't, could not believe that he would be taken seriously. Um, you know, he had lost me on, on the, I mean, he's a misogynist and his treatment of women is appalling and is abhorrent. So we'll start I with mean, there. Maybe, maybe they, we they, should they, end with that. Was it the Billy Bush tape or before that you yes, regarded it? Yes, It was the, yes. Billy, the Billy Bush thing. So were you going to yes. maybe vote for him before you heard that? Never. Did, you vote, never. did you vote for Hillary? No, no, no. Um, I Okay, this sounds a little bit like a punt. And Tim and I have this, we have this debate all the time, you know, are you throwing away your vote? But I just couldn't in conscience, you know, I'm not a Democrat. Um, I always, well, then I think I, I wrote in John McCain. Now my go-to is I write in Mitt Romney. I voted for Romney, and at least Romney had the fortitude to vote to impeach and remove him. I really yes. supported him being impeached and removed for the Ukrainian shakedown. 
I bet you regarded that as serious. If you are a lawyer, if you understand government, yes, that, that was a horrible thing that he did there, don't you think? Yes, absolutely, without question. And yet he said he made a perfect call. I used to do a radio show where I'd give a call of the week, and I gave him the perfect call week after week, his right. self-proclaimed. I mean, what is it? How can people like a narcissist braggart? like that what's up right i I don't know yeah well you're not going to get any i wish that i had these searing insightful responses um and believe me i've well talk about your husband did he go with you or did he make the mistake of voting for trump or was he as outspoken as you no he voted he definitely voted for trump um for sure the first time i can't speak for what he did the next round. Um, But yeah, yeah. And I bring up your attorney because it's always been my position that attorneys have a special responsibility right now to call out this situation which imperils the rule of law and democracy. And we are more educated in this field. And we can't just sit idly by and say, oh, it's all okay. It's not. Do you agree? Oh, totally. You know, and I was thinking about this. So, you know, when you and I both, I think, and every attorney that's sworn in, when when I was sworn in to the Wyoming Bar, you take an oath to support and obey and defend the Constitution of the United States and here, the Constitution and laws of Wyoming. Um, to me, that was such a proud moment to even get to that point. And, and this huge responsibility, you know, feel like you... You, Susan Stubson, you know, the only one here, haha, are the one that is in charge of, of defending this amazing piece of art, the Constitution, right? And to faithfully and, and honestly um, do whatever you can. I, I thought that was a huge responsibility, and that has never, never left me. Um, so, you know, when you look at the lawyers, of America that are jumping on this side and, and, you know, piping out these ideas of of the election fraud is a thing and these kind of things. And in fact, um, Cheney's opponent is an attorney as well, who has gone, you know, right up to the cliff, right up to the precipice of saying the election was stolen. You know, I think how can you in your right mind and in good conscience ever as an attorney at law, ever communicate that that is a good thing and that is right and that that is not totally contrary to the rule of law and the constitution i want to talk about helen hageman and she looks like she's going to beat liz cheney unless an amazing come from behind victory owing to your new york times column occurred <laughs> let's hope let's hope <laughs> but i need to quarrel with you a little bit because i had that reverence for the constitution as well but yes. my last column i started thinking about it and the decision making by our new supreme court who maybe you like but i don't their social policies uh and what they did with dobbs and that kennedy case where a public school guy gets to pray on the 50-yard line. Anyway, I was bothered by it. And I've always said that the Constitution means what the Supreme Court says it does. And now I'm worried. And if you go to originalism, I think about these guys. And they were guys of their time. And it was a time when women were irrelevant. 
Yes. So if we have a constitution that where women couldn't even vote and black people were a fraction of a white person, then how can we really have it as our uh, binding document, especially when you have a Supreme Court that says, we're going to go back to the way it was at the time of the revolution. So fight me on that. Yeah, uh, well, I hope I'm not coming off as a pushover. Uh, I'm not going to fight you too much, but I have, you know, always defended and really pushed back when I hear my friends, my non-attorney friends talk about activist courts. And, you know, you kind of go through this long explanation, this civics 101 is that no, the, the third arm, the Supreme Court, the court is ob- objective and wholly unbiased. I mean, that is... That's like a bedrock. That's how we we obtain the rule of law, right? And so this idea of I thought, you know, he can Trump can appoint as many um, quote unquote activist or conservative or liberal justices as he wants. He won't do a liberal, but um, but they're still attorneys. They still took an oath. You know, back to this point, they're not going to infuse their own political views in into their decisions. The Dodd decision um, <laughs> has made me rethink whether our highest court is now an activist um, court. That's hugely concerning. Um, I don't know. They are, but they'll only be in power for the rest of our lives. So maybe our grandchildren will have a different court. This is a big problem. You are conservative, right? Do you wear that uh label and you are evangelical you're from wyoming and i bet you like conservative supreme court justices but is it a sea change now are you thinking gosh what did i do uh i think jury's still out on that you know i'm i'm i think i suffer from a chronic disease of eternal optimism (laughs) i like that especially you know i think in a mother it's so beautiful Maybe the court may, may, maybe this is an overcorrection. I mean, it's a serious, serious overcorrection, but, you know, let's, let's let a couple of cycles go through, see if they're going to write themselves. I don't, I don't know. No pun intended. But I bet you thought Roe v. Wade was kind of an activist decision. Dare I ask, are you pro-choice, pro-life, or is more complicated than that? Oh, Craig, I think I'm losing my signal. Can you hear me? No, I can hear you. Yeah. I didn't I, I asked you about your views on reproductive choice. I don't know if you want if you columnize on that or Uh no, pass. Okay. Well I understand that completely. And in Craig's Lawyers Lounge, it's collegial. But can we talk trash about some lawyers involved with Donald Trump? Like Rudy uh, Giuliani? Oh my gosh, that guy. What what a shame. You know, in September when we were watching all these 20-year tributes to 9-11 and, and, you know, you're watching those long documentaries reminding ourselves of just what an incredibly tragic moment that was in our history. And there's Rudy Giuliani, you know, who's really then just this beacon of hope and who's saying all the right things and doing all the right things. And... I needed to be reminded that he once was a champion. Um, 
and a representative of, of all things good and what we need and want in our mm-hmm. public servants. And, you know, I think to me, 9-11, the 20th anniversary has been really this dramatic, stark example of Rudy, what the heck has happened to you? It's just, I think it's, I, it's a shame. Age, a, age, ego, alcohol, power, power, yeah. several divorces. Yeah. I'm, who knows? Who right. knows? But to me, you know, it's, is it a cautionary tale? I think that it's, it's all of those things in there, but mostly it's, um, it's heartbreaking. You know I mean? That's, he was, I think people might forget, but for a moment, he was America's greatest hero. You know, that my kids and the young generation of new voters, by the way, will have no idea that there was somebody at one point who who really was, I think, a, a giant. Right. Um, and before he was America's mayor, he was the most yes. famous prosecutor in America, taking yes. down crime families and cleaning up New York and becoming... Yeah a Republican who got elected in liberal New York and seemed to do a good job. So, wow, a lot of people liked him. Yes, just a, a tragedy and a shame. It is. A lot of lawyers' reputations are being damaged. This John Eastman was visiting professor at CU. Oh, my gosh, we wish there was no Colorado connection. But he comes out of talk radio and I listen to podcasts. There's one where these two guys take on Alex Jones. They listen to his InfoWars bullshit every week, and they just laugh at his lies and his exaggerations. But they found a tape of him being on the air during 9-11, and right away, as the planes crashed in, he accused the globalists and this and that. And then if you look further at talk radio with the birtherism that Donald Trump championed, And we had Denver radio hosts making a living on claiming Barack Obama was not really an American, that sort of thing. And Donald Trump picked up on that from Alex Jones, and he went on his show before the campaign. Um, Does talk radio have a big impact in Wyoming? I bet Rush Limbaugh did. Oh, for sure. For sure. And there's one, well, there's probably more, but the one that I listen to here in central Wyoming, um, there's a show that has, a, I think, a pretty, pretty significant reach. I listen to it. <laughs> I listen to it every morning um, for whatever reason, mostly for the weather. But, um, yeah, yeah. And actually, back to my comment about it's really, really hard to, to get some good sources. Mm-hmm. I mean, our AM radio station here, I think, is is a, a great source of information. By the word great, I don't mean um, complimentary, like wonderful. I think meaning large uh, source. It's got a pretty large reach across Wyoming. And how are they treating Liz Cheney back to that race in Helen Hageman? Boy, I don't like her. I don't know her. I bet you've met her, but she seems to be a total Trump suck up and she will do (laughs) anything that he tells her and take any position and parrot what the guy at Mar-a-Lago says. Did she go down for that Mules movie showing in Mar-a-Lago like Tina yeah. Peters did. She went there? I don't I don't know. I mean, how far in the tank is she for Donald Trump? And tell us about Helen Hageman now that I've led you and and the other side objects to my leading questions. 
Yeah, well, thank you. Very, very good. You know, my only, my best questions are my leading questions. Well, it's Harriet Hageman. Oh, Harriet, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Harriet it's Hageman. okay. Harriet Hageman. Um, it's and- like the Dickensian name, right? Hageman. <laughs> Harriet, so, Harriet Hageman. I know, yeah, so um, once again, one large town, small street, so uh, definitely no Harriet. In fact, Tim... My husband, Tim, and, and Harriet had a, a really great case of more than 10 years ago on term limits. And so, you know, they've been co-counsel. She's an oil and gas attorney here. Um, I think she's one of these classic examples of a never-Trumper who is now an always-Trumper. I mean, he obviously has endorsed her, um, which, frankly, I think is, has really hurt Cheney. Um, Cheney's the campaign, Cheney campaign's got some great billboards up here. If anybody ever wants to take a long road trip up to Wyoming just to see the billboards, I think they're worth it. Tell us about them. Yes, the Cheney billboards um, quote Harriet calling Trump weak and he's racist and he's xenophobic. Um, That's a great one. When did Harriet say all this? Who was she backing at the time? Uh. In 2016, remember our earlier conversation about the folks that you you were hoping are going to be on your team and then they jump on the other team? So Hageman was all Team Cheney in 2016, Mm -hmm. all Team Cheney. So, um, you know, and and I think uh, they were friends, you know, so for whatever that's worth. But, yeah, so Harriet. But but, uh, Liz Cheney wasn't speaking out against Trump in 2016. Was Hageman interested in like backing John McCain or a, a different presidential candidate, Marco Rubio or whatever? Don't know. Can't answer that. I have uh, no idea. Where did she, where did these quotes come from where she was talking trash about Trump? Because I, 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 I got to talk in the New York Times about Jenna Ellis and she used to be on my radio show and I liked her on because she was conservative, but she'd talk a lot of trash against Donald Trump. Now she's one of the biggest backers, like Hageman. Trump yes. loves that. He loves to steal away other men's wives. He likes that sort of thing. How can yeah. burn him over? And, yeah. I, and some women do that. What is it about Hageman, you think, that makes her susceptible? You would never be susceptible like that, would you? Well, to answer your uh, no, to answer your question about Harriet, you know, what makes her so susceptible is a Trump endorsement here in Wyoming in this race is huge. I mean, that's that's got some significant collateral. And so uh Right, but I you you are you like the limelight. Your husband does too. Would you do that? <laughs> da, da. Well, I never I have no plans to run for public office, which I think is has been really liberating for me because because I have no interest in being public service. Um I don't need to. But if the Donald called the Stubson home and said, hey, I'd like you guys to be my friends and I want to back you instead of Harriet Hageman. And uh, could you please accept my endorsement and you will be the congressperson from Wyoming? I mean, would you have fallen for that? Because to me, just talking to you, I think you have too many morals, too many scruples. And you wouldn't do that. But maybe I'm wrong. No, the answer would be hard no. Hard no. Mm-hmm. How do we no, get the rest of Wyoming and America to say, come on, we, it's a hard no on Donald Trump. Doesn't it have to be for this country to go on? 
Oh, for sure. You know, and there is a path forward for the Please. GOP. Tell me. Here, I think, you know, and we, and my guess is what we're doing here on the grassroots level, at the county level, is not unlike what precinct committee people and women are doing, men and women are doing all over the country, is kicking the bums out. You know, so you take a look at the Wyoming State Party GOP leadership. Um, they have ruined our state party. It's a small band of folks, limited amount of folks that represent the extreme right. In fact, our chairman of the GOP party is a member of the Oath Keepers and uh, was on the restricted grounds and was at the January 6th insurrection. He is the chairman of the Wyoming GOP party. So what's the path? We got to get those guys out of there. And you They're did dangerous. It. You They're did dangerous. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell us how to do it because a lot of the leadership in Colorado is the same, although with the help of independents like me voting in the Republican primary, we kept the real wacky mega types out in Colorado. But right. uh, uh, what about Maryland just nominated for governor, a guy who's wacky? And, and for those people who say, hey, if you went – to Washington for January 6th, that was patriotism. That was a sign of good thinking. It's only those people who beat up the cops. No, I'd say, no, it's stupid. If you went, you were a cult member. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, come on. There was never any evidence. And as trial lawyers, they put up so many bullshit explanations of so-called fraud that it was easy to see that they were grasping at straws. Am I right? Well, that's certainly what the January 6th testimony has been um, dripping out. So, yeah, and that's what the Republican officials in Georgia said every time they made a false claim, like a secret luggage in the State Farm Arena or they're closing the windows. There were explanations for all of it. Anyway, right, right. what do you think of the January 6th hearing? No, let's not leave Hageman just yet. If you walked up to her at a political event— would yes. you be friendly with her? Would you say, what are you doing, Harriet? Uh, what's your approach to Trumpers like that right now? Uh, friendly, of course. I mean, we're we're human beings, you know. So, yes, you know, and, and I have to say I have a lot of uh, admiration for Harriet um, on, a, on a lot of levels. I think that she's really bright. I think she's hardworking. I think she's knowledgeable. I think she sold her soul um, to get into political office, but you know she's still a human being. Um, I, of course, would. What about that dude who went to January sixth? What was he a three percenter ahead of the Wyoming Republican Party? Are you friendly and cordial with him too? Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Did he take offense to your column, or do people up in Wyoming get mad? <laughs> um, I get some feedback. Yes. Do they have comment section on the online version? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, I'm so glad they don't do that at the Colorado Sun. Do you like it or do you avoid it? You know, there's a part of me that's a little bit of a glutton. Um, so, and sometimes some comments are are so ridiculous. Of course, you know, you kind of take them for what what they what they are. But you know, I you don't write on a public platform and expect um, high praise 100% of the time. I mean, and I, I think, 
you know, public dialogue, um, the public forum, the town square, it's important. And so I'm, I'm happy to, to dialogue with anybody and, and to listen to their views. But why do we do it? Let's analyze each other. I do it. I get paid a little bit. And I love that. Somebody's going to pay me to write a column. That's wonderful. And I'm wondering about the New York Times. When you make a great submission like that, do they write you a check? <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> okay. I, I like these questions that you can't answer. They're really yeah. revealing. Let me ask you this. How's it going to turn out for America? This January 6th hearing, we are, I'm really getting excited for tonight. I don't know if it's going to be a total smoking gun, but when you put them all together, I see a revolver that's on fire and it's in Donald Trump's hands, don't you? You know, I'm not willing to go there yet. Um, I do think that the national dialogue on all sides, not both sides, but all sides, has gotten a little um, incendiary and it's also gotten a little fear-based. And so there may be truth to what you just said, Craig, but on the other hand, I really am resisting and rejecting kind of a, a fear-based dialogue. Lock them up. So, That's not good. Yeah, I'm an optimist. I told you I'm an optimist. So um, do I think that we need to be doing better? Am I hoping that this might be a, a low point um, in our country? Yes. But, you know, I have boys. We've got kids at the same age. And I'm really, really excited um, to see what their generation does. Yes. I think they understand this deeply. So I guess I'm not really willing to say, you know, we're going down the tubes and this is it. And, you know, we were at a politics in the park forum last night in the city park. And, and you, you heard a lot of those kind of grenades, you know, or this is the end and, and we're losing all of our rights and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's, there's little seeds of truth perhaps to some of that, but I'm, I'm not willing to engage in that mindset. What about your husband, Tim? Is he going to seek further office? I sure hope so. What I do you sure think so. would be a great job for him? President? Of? The United States? <laughs> well, we'll see if maybe we can get Liz Cheney in there first. Governor? So we, we might go have a little bit more work to do. <laughs> Governor? Governor Stubson? Uh, we've got a great governor right now. So, you know, I think... Um, I think God has a plan for Tim and and a path. Um, not sure what that path is right now, uh, but we're kind of waiting to see if there is a place where he can serve. I think he would love to to be a part of it. Get in the hat. I well, I think he's a great guy because he's at a he's got a wonderful wife that he met in Laramie at the University of Wyoming School of Law. And I think that uh, you are delightful, and it gives me hope. And I do like optimism. If we baby boomers can just get the baton to the next generation, maybe they yes. can do better. How can they do worse? Agreed. And Agreed. Can, and can we do the total circle pattern? Your uh, wonderful state. And gosh, it's beautiful up there. The Tetons. When I drive by, my kids get mad. Say, the Tetons! Because they look different than Colorado, except maybe down there to tell you right. Anyway, you know Wyoming. You love it. I, I just hope that it doesn't get so bad that there's conflict between Wyoming 
and Colorado over, you know, politics. How do you guys look at Colorado now? Do you think most people look at Colorado with disdain if you are in Uh, Wyoming? Yes. And in fact, this sounds like I'm being a little bit of an opportunist, but um, maybe a topic for another day, maybe a whole podcast, because I've uh, we have some strong feelings about our folks to the South. And what does that stem from? Us being way too liberal on abortion, marijuana. Oh, golly, golly. And, and, yes. and our banning of fireworks. I know you don't like that. Yes, yes. Uh, water, marijuana, social issues. Mostly uh, get lots of lots of traffic up here, which we love. So, yeah, you know, I think maybe I'll stop here and leave that as a teaser and see if I can All convince right. you to Here's get on my the show teaser. again. You might look into this because <laughs> I know you like your oil and gas money up there, and it helps pay for a lot of law firms. But as we discussed at the outset, you have a lot of wind. Can you turn that into money? Wind power, I know Trump hates it, but can Wyoming succeed with alternative energy? Uh, Well, we've certainly been trying. I think we've gotten better at um, the technology with wind energy, for sure. Um, Still lots of ways to go. And, and, you know, we're not doing so great. Um, Coal has tanked especially during COVID, it's, it's starting to, to climb up now. Mm-hmm. But we, I mean, that's, that is our eternal discussion up here, Craig, is how to diversify our economy and, and branch out and what to do with our minerals industry and to, you know, continue, continue. My, Sorry, you go. No, no. I, I, I want to continue up to Montana where my oldest boy, Ben, is living. And I go right through Wyoming, but I want to time it to take in a Susan Stupson piano recital. Is that possible? <laughs> I will let you know for sure. When, when's your next big show? Uh, you know, I don't have anything going on this summer. I will be sure to let you know. Susan, I can't wait to watch you play the piano. You've been a tremendous podcast guest. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Love your show. Love your columns. Keep it up. Thank you. Same back to you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog and it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years whichever is shorter and then when the time frame for the trust is up you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or i have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals how cool is that you can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com and there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Hey, 
have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Goodness gracious, I sure do like that Susan Stubson. What a remarkable woman, outspoken, smart, the salt of the earth. I hope Colorado and Wyoming never really fight. We have more in common than what tears us apart. Thanks to Dave Gunders for not dying when he climbed that Teton back in the day. What a great song. Love it. Every space. You should go to Dave Gunder's music on YouTube to check out all his incredible gift giving because every song of his is a gift and we feature one every show. Thank you, Susan Stubson, for being in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. If you like our show, and I'll tell you the way to like it even better, I talk sort of slow. So if you put it on faster speed, even up to two times, I start to sound more normal, smart, everything I want to be. But I can find great guests, tremendous conversations. Tell a friend, please subscribe. Five stars is wonderful. Thanks for listening. Till next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.